Welcome to our Perimenopause What the F podcast, brought to you by the Perry community. In this podcast, your host, Rachel Hughes, talks everything, and we mean everything, perimenopause. She helps us navigate through all our What the F perimenopause moments and all, is this normal? Questions. Rachel talks with perimenopause experts, thought leaders, and inspirational voices of the community. To connect with other perimenopause warriors, download our free Perry app. You can find the link in our show notes. And now, let's dive right in. Hey everyone, this is Rachel Hughes of the Mental Memos here with another episode of Perry Talks, where we like to deep dive into all things perimenopause and menopause, bringing you the science and the sisterhood. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with patient advocate, coach, and well-being expert Danny Bingington, who after a breast cancer diagnosis, was thrust into menopause overnight. Danny works alongside women with similar experiences and has become a real advocate and voice for those going through early menopause and surgical menopause. I am so looking forward to this chat with Danny. For future episodes, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And now let's get started. Um, Danny, I just want to introduce you. Um, it's so nice to meet you and see your face and thank you for this time together um, for the Perry community. Danny Bingington is a well-being expert, yoga teacher, nutrition counselor, not solely, but really with a, a niche um, that speaks to women who have undergone surgical menopause. You created a program titled Empowered Menopause, where you work with women coming alongside them throughout their menopause journey, helping to educate, inform, and ultimately assist in creating a positive menopausal experience for each individual. You have a website, a yoga course, several yoga courses, um, a private Facebook community, and you run a program for women post-cancer in menopause and a program for women in perimenopause and menopause. Both of these include a, a large panel of experts for the educational hub diet and fitness advice, and of course, inspiration on how to feel excited through this transition of life, which is really, it just radiates um, from your feed and from your, your presence. And I'm just thrilled to be able to speak to you. So thank you. And Danny, I really wanted to just sort of open this, the floor to you um, to let us know, those, those of us who don't, know um about your your journey to this point um your diagnosis your treatment and so on so if you wouldn't mind just sharing what you will about that thank you rachel and thank you for having me today it's exciting to talk to you um yeah so how did i get here sometimes (laughs) i don't know myself (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure None of it was planned. Everything happened. Initially, it felt it was happening to me until I realized I had a part in taking control in everything that was sort of happening to me. So I was 33 when I was diagnosed with a very aggressive type of breast cancer. My children were, the twins were two at the time, and my older daughter was four. And life was happening to us Um I went for radiotherapy, chemotherapy, multiple surgeries, and I just went along with what was going on. And it was like someone put me on an escalator and I couldn't get off. And of course, it was difficult, but in a weird way, active treatment also had many benefits. I felt looked after. I felt I was being active, that the doctors knew what to do and how to support me in helping get rid of my cancer. It was after my active treatment had finished, I fell into a really big hole and my mental health, my physical health really started to suffer because it felt like I wasn't being active anymore. Mm. I wasn't doing chemo. I wasn't going through surgery. I wasn't having radiotherapy and it felt like I needed to do more. I was so panicked, Rachel, by the what ifs, what if my cancer would come back, that it felt I wasn't doing enough. So 
I became obsessed with food, with diet, and I became obsessed with being up at three o'clock in the morning, browsing the World Wide Web. And let me tell you, we all know that's not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) It has its pros and cons, doesn't it? Right. There is a lot of conflicting and contradicting advice out there. And when you start looking, it might turn you and swallow you up like a rabbit hole, right? Um, And I became very extreme. Now, today, with hindsight and all the education I had, I I know it was my way of regaining control of everything that cancer took away from me. And one has to be actually quite cautious because I cut out seven major food groups from one day to the next, all gluten, all alcohol, all meat products, I turned vegan, anything that was processed, anything that was ready-made, any sugar, any, did I mention alcohol? All of these things, caffeine, (laughs) you name it. I probably tried to eliminate it. I now know it was necessary to be this drastic and there are many better ways But I want to share it because I know I didn't get it all right. Mm -hmm. And it's important to say all of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, my mother-in-law ushered me to my first yoga class. I had a wig on. I was in downward dog. I was so worried. My wig would slip off my head. It was awful. But actually, I did realize very soon that I could be a little bit less anxious, more anxiety-free, actually, in the time I practiced yoga. And that just got me, made me feel a bit hooked, really. And I went back for more and more and more. And today I even teach it. And it's just become another tool to put in place. And many other tools followed along my journey. My um, approach to eating is a lot more balanced. I love being inspired by people like you. I just said, I've made myself a protein smoothie for my (laughs) afternoon dip, (laughs) which I've got so many lovely recipes now that I can dip into. It was definitely the food, the yoga. I did and had counseling. I tried hypnotherapy. I tried so many things to help myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because once I realized I too can become active in my recovery and my healing, that is when true transformation started to happen. I, You are pu- pulling on every heartstring I have so much of what you're saying resonates very true for me um in one regard that you have this sort of innate holistic perspective where you're you're maybe a um you know you'll dip your toe in a lot of things and try them for whatever reason whether it be to regain control or you know just desiring health or just curiosity um that's that really resonates but I I'm also I think one of the things that people are very drawn to about you is that you really are accepting of all um all that's offered to us and there is this attitude that you bring to yourself and sort of grant to others which says you can be proactive about your own health and however that looks for you is appropriate for you and I think that's so valuable Um, correct the power needs to come back to us mm -hmm. we are managing this transition or any other life's difficulties Um, yeah if people have financial difficulties and relationship problems, um, if your partner or spouse is um, affected by an illness, all of those things will have a huge effect on us. But whatever happens, we can become active in one way or another. Actually, very early on in my career, Rachel, I I was so much into my yoga and uh, and my food. um, And a friend said, why don't you try Instagram? And I did both. And then another uh, colleague said, I think you should focus on one to try and to grow your Instagram and your online presence. You need to have a real niche. Mm. You're doing food and yoga and mental health and all of this. <laughs> You're a bit of jack of all trades. And I really pondered over it. And I thought, that's exactly it. I cannot let go of the one because I knew when I was eating really, really well, my mental health was still appalling. Yeah. My diet was the best. Yes, yes. I couldn't just do and share my experience of how amazing yoga has been because it didn't tick all the boxes. 
If someone takes medication, for example, hormone treatment for managing their perimenopause and menopause, that might be the missing link to their experience and their well-being. They've still got to eat. They've still got to move. And unless we tick different boxes, I just don't think we can truly feel really well. Yes, I And so I just couldn't drop those elements. And so I knew for myself, I need to become a guide, a coach, um, a hand-holding partner for my clients because I can't become an expert into all the things I believe in we need. I can't become a dietitian and a yoga expert and a menopause specialist and a GP. I can't do it all. So what I do now is I facilitate the knowledge and information there is between all of those practitioners and a group of ladies that needs to have access to this. I love it. And most importantly, like you know, and like I've just said, is breaking it down into a step-by-step process. Because otherwise, people are going to feel like I used to in the early days. And I spent hundreds of hours online. And I thought I knew it all, but I didn't know what to do with the information. I didn't know how to put it into practice. Yeah. Um, thank you for that, Danny. Can we just go back for a few minutes um, to your diagnosis and your treatments and your um, sort of being catapulted into menopause as a result of treatment? So you were diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer. Is it it, the BRCA, the um, BRCA? I'm not sure if you... Yeah, further on in my um, journey, I discovered I carry a genetic mutation, which is the Angelina Jolie gene. Yes, yes. Your listeners might remember when she spoke very openly about it. So it increases your risks of ovarian and breast cancer. Well, the breast cancer was served to me on a silver platter at Mm. 33. Mm. Um. I feel fortunate that I'm the first one in my family to know I'm a carrier of the genetic mutation. Because you had relations also that had breast cancer, is that right? Prior they all to- had a very strong history of ovarian cancer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I never thought I was at risk because it was at my dad's side. I didn't have the information and education. With hindsight, it was a good thing I never needed to worry. My mum never needed to worry about me and my future health. So it is what it is. Today I know. But it then um, I had to then decide what to do about my ovaries. And it was a much easier decision for me than for many young women I might counsel now because I've had my children. My family planning was done. And so if anyone is listening who might ever bridge or come to this crossroads it's a very individual choice and not everyone with the genetic mutation decides to go for risk producing surgery I did and again it's what felt right for me so I had a double mastectomy um, with reconstruction and a few years later just before I turned 40 um, my ovaries went through surgery. Did you know Danny that this was an Sort of, I guess I'm wondering between 33 and just prior to 40, did you know that this was coming, that this was a decision that you had to make at some point? It was looming over me every day, okay. Rachel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that must have been really not fun. Like it was looming over me and it was about when is the right time and who is the best doctor and what is the best team and how do I look after my suddenly menopausal body at 40 and um I don't know I mean it sounds maybe very silly but in a way because I could plan for it I had the date in my diary I knew what was going to happen I was so well informed by then because I was in the well-being industry already I almost feel I was allowed to have an educated start into menopause and this is exactly the opposite to what maybe many of your listeners will feel they have before they stumbled into maybe Perry or across you or someone right so little the majority of women knows nothing right we have no idea what's going to happen to us we think it might happen to us in our 50s and then we're all flabbergasted when suddenly in our 40s we have all these symptoms we don't know what they are yeah I I'm so glad you brought that up I was going to ask you about that because you did 
enter into menopause much more educated, even I'm sure scientifically so, because you, you had to have had medical professionals letting you know sort of what to anticipate. And that's such a different experience from women who haven't had that. And I'm wondering how that informs the work that you do with these it's the women. Fund- it's the fundamentals of why I do what I do today. It's bridging the gap. Mm. And it is wanting to share the knowledge I have gained before I even hit menopause with everyone that is on their way. And I know the gap is huge because I was so well informed, so well looked after. And the majority of women are sort of stumbling along. That's um, fantastic. That you're and so it is for me, that was my urge. That, that realisation, how big that uh, change in experiences, how big the gap is, it was for me, a how can I bridge it? Mm-hmm. in what is available to me with my resources within the capacities that I have but there are a lot of women who for example go for a hysterectomy and are not offered adequate menopause advice I have many emails from women monthly who tell me I've had a hysterectomy and no one told me I'm in menopause with or without cancer and so we need to understand more about it. again it comes back to information and education Yeah, you really are bridging a gap between many um, points, if you will, from women to medical professionals, from women to mental health care professionals, nutritionists, and so on. It's very exciting. Um, I'm curious, Danny, what it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you, you received a wonderful medical sort of experience, meaning you had people who were sort of really walking you through um, all of it. Is that fair? Or did you have to kind of muscle your way um, to answers? It's fair. And I will add, it's not that I have had this experience. I have fought extremely hard to get this information and education. And I became the difficult patient the difficult yeah and I think this is another thing I'd like to share and get across because every woman's experience of the perimenopause menopause is so different you don't have to have a cancer diagnosis and end up in surgical menopause for it to be a rough ride Hmm. it can be can I swear (laughs) it can be a shit show (laughs) (laughs) yes right um one thing I sort of had in me maybe as a personality, I don't know if that is fair to say, it is to be difficult to ask questions. If I didn't like, so for example, the person who I was first referred to for my double mastectomy, I didn't like him. Mm. I didn't think he was giving me the options I wanted. I just didn't feel safe. So I was referred back to my general practitioner to then be seeing someone else. I kept, I was seeing three or four different surgeons until I found the one I chose and Mm. if you hear my language here I chose Mm. Mm -hmm. because I knew I had some control over what I had no control over if you know what I mean yeah yeah and so it's the same when you have a general practitioner you might not feel so supported you have the ability to go and change it's a hassle I know these things are a hassle but go and find the best general practitioner that you have access to within your means. If you don't like one, ditch them. Yeah. Go for another one. And yeah, I, I'm so mean. glad. I'm sorry, go on. No, no, I was, I was finishing there saying, think of it, you want to build your team that supports you. I really thought, who is going to be my team? I mean, none of these people know that they were part of my team because they might have thought I'm mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In my, at home, I had a little spidergram of all the people. <laughs> I thought, who's going to support me? <laughs> Yeah. They had no idea they were part of my grand plan. <laughs> oh, I love that, actually. And I, I, so, I so appreciate your responding to that because we certainly, you know, me on Instagram and the Perry community hear all the time how I think ultimately let down women feel by the medical practitioners they seek out help and support and guidance from and I'll I'll often ask a doctor or a nurse or someone in the medical field um, you know how can we best 
seek information from you. And they always offer, you know, terrific help. But I think hearing from you directly, um, I didn't have the impression that you had to kind of be the difficult patient, which I don't see it that way at all, but I know what you're saying. Um, But I think it's so encouraging for women to hear that um, and, and, and to see exemplified somebody who advocated for themselves as exhausting as it might've been, or as frustrating as it might've been, if someone isn't working for you and you have the means to go someplace else, it's critically important that you do. And I love that you put out, you know, this spider, this, this, this thing, this design, if you will, of who's, who's going to be on my team, you know, who. You know, we have, I don't know how it is with you, but in the UK, we have a big um, voice, um, saying general practitioners aren't good enough in helping women manage perimenopause and menopause for decades hormone replacement therapy has been denied Mm -hmm. because of the ill reporting of the study many many years ago which I know you're very well aware of and then the prescribing of hormone treatment has stopped virtually overnight and a whole generation of women has been left to struggle without any real help Mm. now they're catching up, but the word here is catching up because, of course, in my practice, there are many GPs who are brilliant at giving steroid injections when people have knee pain. Right. The same doctor can't be an expert in menopause health. Right. I get it, right? Mm-hmm. And I also don't think it's very helpful to blame a whole industry like general practitioners in saying you're not doing a bad, you're not doing a good job, you're not yeah. good enough in supporting and helping women. The louder our voice becomes in wanting and demanding more information, in getting better care, in getting more access to the right treatments, whether they're medical, natural, complementary treatments, the louder our voice will become, our universal, collected voice of our female women, Mm -hmm. then we're going to be responded. And it might take some time. But it, we will be heard will because yeah. we're a big force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I just think even five years ago, 10 years ago, if a general practitioner said, I give you antidepressants, they might be safer than hormone replacement therapy. I don't think they were doing anything wrong. They just didn't know better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it is now the more we demand, the more they will educate themselves and the more access we will have to the correct treatment. So let us roar as a community of women instead yeah. of pointing the finger at they're no good they're no good Mm -hmm. that's why I never wanted to blame anyone although my path wasn't easy it wasn't handed Mm -hmm. to me on a platter Mm -hmm. I don't think it helps pointing the finger and blaming instead I want to say to everyone be loud be difficult demand and make your voice heard and then share what you know with your sisters like we do now yeah, I love that. And I so appreciate that. And you you are reminding me as well that I actually personally had and continue to have a wonderful experience with my gynecologist for many years who was open and welcoming and interested in what I brought into the room and sharing my stories so that she could really help me. And she was very aware um, and would say, you know, menopause is one page in a lot of texts. Nutrition is one page in a lot of texts. So, you know, as a medical professional, we, we want to do well by all of you, but we also only, you know, we walk into the room knowing what we know. So I, I love that you just continue to encourage us to advocate. Um, turning back to your story for a moment, you, you had a double mastectomy a few years later, you had your ovaries removed, and then you decided that you would start taking HRT. So my first question is, um, was there a lag time between your surgery and your taking HRT, and also how HRT was for you? Was it sort of immediately, did you ever, did you, how fluid did, did you feel? Right. Okay. Um, 
first thing I want to say for anyone listening who is affected themselves by a cancer, breast cancer diagnosis or any cancer diagnosis or who knows someone, the majority of breast cancers, about 80 to 85 percent, would have been hormone um, receptor positive. Okay. Right. For those women, the majority of their oncologists or their breast surgeons or their menopause specialists will say hormone replacement therapy is not an option for you. Yeah. It's really important to differentiate. My The type of cancer I had was not driven by hormones. It was a triple negative breast cancer. Okay. I also had a double mastectomy. And the combination of those two things, plus the third addition is my own assessment of my risks versus benefits. Okay. So the type of cancer I've had, the fact I've had a double mastectomy, which obviously reduces future cancers in the breast tissue by a, a huge amount and I have chosen to weigh up the pros and cons that is the reason why I've decided to go on hormone replacement therapy okay for my long-term health mm-hmm. because I went on HRT as soon as I woke up from surgery I didn't even give it a day okay I didn't wait for symptoms I didn't want to wait what might happen mm-hmm. I wanted to do this for my long-term bone and heart health in particular because those are this is where we have the science but I'm taking a risk here Rachel and this is definitely a very very detailed conversation Mm -hmm. that women need to have together with their oncologist Mm -hmm. their breast surgeon and their menopause specialist or gynecologist so it's no decision that one expert will make on their own and we need to talk about patient's choice here Mm. this will feel a very weird thing to do for many women post breast cancer even in my situation and we need to be really really understanding here how different each woman's cancer diagnosis is and and how to treat menopause after that it's a really different ball game may i ask you danny and if this is too personal you let me know i think a lot of women might feel like particularly on the heels of a diagnosis, on the heels of already a first surgery. Um, how did you come to the conclusion that this was right for you? You spoke about giving thought to your longevity, your healthy bones and so on. But I'm, I'm wondering, were you sort of calculated about you know, did you, do you write down the pros and cons? Because I imagine that so many women, I can only speak for myself, but I would feel so sort of overwhelmed and overcome by the news and what I'd already experienced. And I'm not sure how I would start to absorb what anyone was telling me. Remember, it's a process of years we're talking here. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I would say, as you know, perimenopause and menopause is an ultra, ultra, ultra marathon, <laughs> right? It's yeah. never a spring. Yeah. No, it, that's so true. You're right. And if women say, oh, it takes me so long to wait for a doctor's appointment, four months, I say, oh my gosh, just wait for it because yeah. <laughs> yeah. four months is nothing. Yeah. Once you're in menopause, you'll be in menopause forever, love. <laughs> Get it out. True. That's true. And all the appointments I had, there were months in between my appointments preparing oh. me for what I was going to do. I also waited in between uh, big chunks of my treatment. So I had my initial surgery, chemo, radio. I waited for two years to have a double mastectomy. Mm, I felt I needed to be in good physical health to have a big operation. I was doing headstands and shoulder stands and all sorts before my op, thinking I'm superwoman. Right, right, right. right. Anything to trick my own brain that this was going to be okay. Then I waited four years to have my ovaries out. So by the time I decided to take hormone replacement therapy with a particular cancer I've had and no particular cancer I've had, the chances of my cancer coming back were almost gone because of the cancer I've had. So it, it just felt like the right timing for me. And I don't think I'm going to be on hormone replacement therapy forever. Mm -hmm. I would like to bridge myself to at least about 50 if I can, Rachel, if I can. But there are many women whose oncologists say, 
um, you shouldn't go on hormone replacement therapy because of the cancer you have had. Right. And what I would say is I know because I speak to so many of them and I work with so many of them, their fear of bone health and brain health and heart health is real. And it might feel horrible to them that they're being deprived of a treatment that might help them with their long-term health. But what I want to say to them and myself is you can do a lot to prevent osteopenia in the future, osteoporosis. You can look after your bone, brain and heart health by being really active in other ways. No one thing is going to stop us from having problems in the future. Yeah. I can do all of these things. I can be on HRT and I can have a good diet and I might still have bone problems. Yeah, yeah. Right? You just don't know. All you can do is give your best shot. But if a woman is listening to this thinking, I don't want HRT, I can't have HRT, then it's really important to know there is a lot of options out there. 150 minutes of exercise a week, like you know, I know you talk about it (laughs) all the time. Yeah, can not only reduce my risks of a cancer recurrence, but over 50%, right? We will reduce future problems, diabetes, osteoporosis, so many other That's things. a staggering number. It it's really, it's crazy, a right? Number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All chronic diseases, we know our diet, our exercise has a direct impact on it. Mm-hmm. I am in control of that. And I love it because I'm in charge. I get it. I love it. Yeah. But again, there's no right or wrong. It was yeah. just for me at the time. I felt I wanted to do it and it wasn't working straight away for me. Yes. So that was my yeah. next question. Yeah. How was that transition? Yeah. And so I don't know, after surgical menopause, your hormones drop from one day to the next. They're gone. So it's not like in perimenopause where you're right. on a roller coaster of hormones right. up and down for maybe 10 years or mm-hmm. however long. Mm -hmm. until you hit menopause for me it was from one day to the next I then supplemented with hormone replacement therapy I think I was okay physically I didn't notice too much my sex drive by then wasn't brilliant Mm -hmm. so maybe low libido yes Mm -hmm. but maybe it wasn't worse than before Mm -hmm. um but what I didn't realize is my loss of confidence because that crept up on me and it was really weird I can't so the day of the day before surgery I had an email from a publisher and I had an idea for a book and I had a yes I was signed by a huge literacy agent in the UK and I was like oh my gosh this is so exciting tomorrow I'm going in for my op this is the best all I need is to focus on something really positive And as we started working, my confidence left me. And five months later, I pulled the deal. I I didn't think I had it in me. Anyone would want to read what I had to say. And my family kept saying, that's mad. You've worked all this time to get an agent. It's really hard to get a book published. Agents is amazing. What are you doing? Today, I know my self-confidence was low. My self-doubt was big. My monkey voices telling me I wasn't good enough all of that was attributed to my experience of what menopause meant for me okay this is can I pause you there for a minute this is a really big deal and fascinating to me and so are you let me back up a second I don't know many women even though there's this sort of loud voice online or on Instagram or whatever sort of saying, you know, we're empowered and we're strong and we're, we can reclaim everything and be bold in the world. I see that. I try and encourage it, but I also know and see and feel so many of us struggling with our confidence and our sort of ability to, to, as you said, have, you know, have a door open wide open and, and feel like we can walk through it and we deserve to be there. Are you suggesting or feeling, or do you feel it was attributed to um, sort of the loss of 
hormones or was it just all of what you had been going through to date? I think both. Now I know it was definitely a hormonal deficiency Mm. because I tinkered with my hormone replacement therapy and it made me feel better. Really? To me, that was the proof Mm. for myself. But obviously what you're listening to is one woman and one, this isn't a study, this isn't a research, but this is one anecdotal, right? Yeah, but I think it's so important. It's all I can share. Yes, yes. And, And I think it's so important because you literally from one day to the next, had you were sort of in a different physiological state and that you can share with us one of the most significant things that you experienced in that is really maybe the reason why I didn't get lots of hot flushes lots of sleep sleepless nights lots of physical symptoms is because I'm physically really active because I look Mm -hmm. after my diet Mm -hmm. because I know how to avoid triggers like alcohol red meat all of those things I've eliminated from my diet because I know they just make hot flushes worse Mm -hmm. I know that by having hot drinks in the evening you might have a hot flush at three o'clock in the morning in the right. middle of the night, because it takes that long for your body to then think, oh, too much. So by reducing hot baths, hot cups of tea in the evening, many women say they might have a better night's sleep, less hot flushes. Mm. Um, I know from many women that I work with, for example, that by not eating beyond six, seven o'clock in the evening, we're not talking about massive fasting here, just yeah. not eating very late. Mm-hmm. It often stops them from having another wee in the middle of the night so women say to me oh Danny I thought I was always woken up by hot flush but actually I needed a wee yeah yeah we're not eating late we're not snacking late uh it might just help you have a better night's sleep so I think in terms of a sleep hygiene uh and and food I was okay maybe that's why I didn't get many physical symptoms I don't know it's just how I think Mm -hmm. it could have happened but it's that mental health you know, I was going to dinner parties or places and I was thinking, oh, no one would want to sit next to me. I'm so boring now. I'm I'm the only vegan on the table. I don't drink alcohol. Uh, what have I got to say? My head is in menopause. <laughs> I lose my words. Who would want to sit next to me? I was having those feelings all the time. I wasn't being funny enough. All my friends were funnier. Everyone had going on more in their life. I just felt like dragging myself through not being enough and one of the one of the things also Rachel for me was not really feeling much and I'm a very emotional person if you were we were having this interview together I'd probably given you your third hug by now yes (laughs) me too I'm a hugger right But I wasn't really feeling the ups or downs I was quite Mm. disconnected and that was a new feeling for me as well and as soon as I addressed that through hormone replacement therapy, I did notice a shift. Okay. Okay. So you were able to tweak your dosage, if you yeah. will. Yeah, I went I'm, up. I'm, yeah. I'm so appreciative you said that as well, because I, I don't know how many women out there know that these things can be adjusted in the same way for example, an antidepressant can be adjusted. And if you're not quite feeling that you're in the right spot, that can be addressed. And so you did that and it was quite helpful for you. Yeah, and it was quite helpful. And I would say is really keep your options open and stick with the science, stick with what your regulations tell you in your country. In the UK, we have um, the NICE guidelines. Mm-hmm. They tell you also what medication is advised and what you know what is recommended and which aren't recommended so it's important to stick to sort of the science here and then find someone that can help you put together your plan and don't give up I think it takes a while I mean I do know women who say I felt much better quite quickly but I know so many women who say they feel more anxious at first and is it because the medication doesn't work for you or is it because you need tweaking I don't know I'm obviously not a a doctor a a menopause specialist but I do know it is worth giving it quite a few shots and not giving up too soon and then thinking outside the box because for anyone listening in the cancer community we need to retrack go back to basics 
in our space, right, for women in perimenopause and menopause, we hear so much about antidepressants are not the first line treatment. Mm -hmm. Correct. If you're a woman, post-cancer, antidepressants in menopause can be a wonderful drug. Wonderful. Right? If someone is um, on a journey without hormone replacement therapy and they've got feelings of low mood, maybe hot flushes, um, uh, irritability, poor sleep, antidepressants can be really helpful. So I would say, although there are many big voices out there telling you what is right or what is wrong, nothing is right or wrong until you decide. I couldn't agree with you more. I I have been sort of um, uh, awakened to the fact that antidepressants are really looked down upon. And I guess it's because, as you said, when HRT was, you know, kicked to the curb, antidepressants were kind of took their place. And women were walking out of doctor's offices with prescriptions and not addressing maybe the whole of what they needed addressed. But I do think that, as you're saying, you know, sort of not just coming in armed with information and questions to your doctor, but also just sort of looking at your health holistically. And that may include an antidepressant for you. It's, that's between you and, and your, your physicians. But it's I didn't know wonderful. that it was particularly helpful in the cancer community. Yeah, especially if your oncologist decides hormone replacement treat, um, therapy isn't a good exactly. choice for you. Mm-hmm. And I think with antidepressants, it's probably one thing I wish I had asked for or taken in the early years after my breast cancer diagnosis. Because really? I, yeah, my anxiety was so high. It really did stop me from having a good quality of life. It looked great on the outside. I wasn't depressed. I was able to able to function. I raised three children. They were starting school. I was busy. Mm. I wasn't depressed, but my anxiety was so high. I could be super busy looking after the children, taking them to school, making sure they're not run over by cars on scooters, the twins going off into different directions. But at the same time, I had monkey brain almost I could see myself with a recurrence and it was awful because it I couldn't stop it and I wish and I don't know why what was holding me back and 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 sometimes it's our mindset it's our belief system isn't it that is stopping us from acting or taking a different direction and which is why menopause care is so individual we all come with decades of history Yes. Decades of experiences, good or bad experiences. If your mum has had breast cancer, you're going to feel differently about hormone replacement therapy, even with the best information in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've had other experiences, it's going to shape how you're going to react. And and so we need to, you know, we need to understand we're three-dimensional, emotional, beautiful beings. Mm. And that's how we need to manage, I guess, our perimenopause and menopause. Danny, you're speaking my language. I want to ask you, you really are. I want to ask you, um, well, I want to get to your, how you work with women, but um, so this is possibly a strange question, but I'm going to ask anyway. And if you don't like it, say, I don't like it. We'll move on. Um, Having you have your breasts removed, your ovaries removed, did that sort of alter how you defined womanhood for yourself? It did. It did and it didn't. Um, it took work to redefine myself and to recreate myself. Mm. Because actually, even post-cancer, after the first treatment, I still had my breasts. I didn't like who I was becoming. I was going from being a very lighthearted soul of every party girl to becoming much more regimented, you know, eating the way I ate required all of my effort. If you had offered me a tonic water, I would have said no, because it contained sugar, you know, all of it. So I was becoming very regimented. Everything needed to be planned. I could, you know, so I didn't almost like who I was becoming. And then 
I was having to let go of my breasts and then ovaries, which are obviously symbols of your femininity and your reproductive years were suddenly over like at the snip of a finger. But I was working with a great counsellor and actually she, because I kept saying to her, all I want is the old Danny back. I'm going to work really hard to get the old Danny back. I want to be like her again, but I lost her. Mm. And she kept saying to me, maybe that is, it's not part of your reality. It won't ever happen again. It won't ever happen for anyone. No one can have their old self back. And maybe because the old self was a little bit of a romantic view anyway. Because when you truly think of how you were, say, in your prime, mid-twenties, was life that perfect? Were you that perfect? Because even then, weren't we worried about our silly cellulite or thinning hair or whatever it was? I'm sure we had worries then. Mm -hmm. So wanting the old Danny back was a little bit of a romantic view Mm -hmm. I started to realise. But where I had some control is creating the new Danny, and that's where I put my efforts into dreaming her up and into looking for role models that resonated with me. So now my Instagram feed is full of fantastic ladies in their 50s mm. with white hair. I like this. <laughs> I like the hashtag silver sisters. Yeah, I know I do too. I'm deciding I, if I'm going to step into it or not. Yeah, and it's women that say they're like fashion models in their 60s and 70s because they decide and not because they're airbrushed on a paper or in a magazine. And so I've so I'm sort of looking into the right direction, I think. I want to be a bit more like them. I'm not saying I have to copy who they are, but I'm inspired. I aspire to become more like them. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be a little bit more of a wild woman one day you know once my children I know exactly what you mean and I I think about the same kinds of things and I really appreciate your response to that and I actually think it's so again is so inspiring in your in your feed and in your being that we do and and just solely in in around the issue of menopause that there's this kind of there's this straddling the future and the unknown and also the past and there might be regret or there might be missing youth or what I don't know missing something missing romantic version of what life was or might have been and there's something really powerful about looking ahead and saying from this point on you know I get to define and determine all the steps I make and you know the people in my life what my life looks like all of that so thank you for that yeah Um, and you know what Rachel was really exciting I did a vision board once Mm. and I and and I just cut out loads of pictures I liked and I printed out with the women I loved on Instagram and I put them up and it's such a lovely thing to look at and I bet it's all come to right because you know what we focus on expands and so if I just keep focusing on how bad my symptoms are how awful it is I'm no longer childbearing all of that it will expand and it will swallow me up Mm -hmm. and all of this can coexist because I can't get rid of all the bad feelings but it can coexist with looking forward and thinking oh I'm a little bit giddy with excitement I'll be sitting in India on the beach doing my yoga (laughs) having tattoos tattoos all over shaved heads Love it. <laughs> you have very pretty ones, by the way. Um, so, so Danny, I, we're running short on time. I don't want to keep you past an hour, but I, I just want to ask a, a few more questions, if that's okay. Um, yoga is so much a part of your life. So your first yoga class, your mother-in-law brought you to, and it was post-chemo and radiation, and you had this sort of healing experience And then it just took off for you. Yeah, that's right. It was really mentally that I noticed, as I was saying, how bad my anxiety was. I was really mentally, I felt the relief. As soon as yoga was finished, I was back into my anxiety whirlwinds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the mat, I felt good. And so I understood it is possible Mm. to feel less anxious. Mm. I just didn't know how to get it into everyday life off the yoga mat. And initially I thought, I'm just going to do loads of yoga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. when I do it, I feel great. Right. Um, 
but what you do what happens with yoga is over time what happens on the mat you can take elements of it into everyday life and I guess yoga is a little bit like any other medication Mm. it works so medications will work when you take them if you don't take your blood pressure medication it won't have an effect even if it's on your bedside table um if you've booked into a yoga class but you don't don't turn up (laughs) it's not gonna work right and it's creating this consistent habit and building it into your routine I didn't know exactly how to use it with all my clients for a long time because I needed to have more experience myself and with clients but now I know yoga can tick many different boxes so it depends what you want if you're menopause for example means that you feel really stiff in the morning getting out of bed feeling really stiff or joint aches then a gentle restorative yoga class in the evening can really be transformative and I get message after message of women saying I just feel better in my body the next morning if a lady is concerned about her bone health that particular class isn't going to do anything for her bones Mm -hmm. Right. She needs to look for a yoga class that works a little bit on resistance. You use your own body weight anyway. Right. And it's good to ask and say, what do you want to use it for? It can tick many different boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know strength training is really important for perimenopause right. and menopause. So it can be that if you find the right class. Right. Um, can you tell us, Danny, about your menopause masterclass? Yeah. You know what? It was in lockdown. I was sitting at home and I thought, gosh, there is, and and more and more people were doing Instagram lives. Mm. And I was listening to them all like we did in lockdown. And I thought, wow, there is these experts on natural menopause solutions. Then the experts came out of safe prescribing of hormone replacement therapy. And we had menopause experts in holistic care and all different fields. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is all wonderful but wouldn't you want to know it all if you're right. going through it? Right. Wouldn't you want to know it all? And so I put the menopause masterclass together. It was more my reflecting of what was going on in lockdown and what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the things that I was seeing is that women kept saying their symptoms were the problem. I disagree. It's not their symptoms. If you think your symptoms are your problem, rethink. Because it's the fact that you don't know what to do about your symptoms is the real problem. Okay. I, I, I'm so glad you said that. That was my next question was, can you tell us about this? Because this is something that you really do sort of highlight. Yeah. Um, once you have the right information and education, once you understand about yourself, what resonates, like, what do I want to try first? Like many women say, I want to try man- managing my menopause naturally at first. Go for it. It might work. It might not work. Right. Only you can find out. Right. But go for it listen to your intuition, do your research and give it a go. Mm. You can always, with an open mindset, change. Mm -hmm. One thing I know is symptoms can be managed. It is possible to have a really good symptom-free experience or perhaps one where you have symptoms, but they're not stopping you in your tracks. Right. Maybe that's more realistic because symptoms come and go, right? Right. I might be great now. I might get vaginal problems in my later 50s early 60s as a reflection of my menopause right but right now you just deal with what you have Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think one thing I was picking out on was that women thought symptoms were their problem but actually it's the fact they didn't know what to do about it the other thing I realized is that it was too isolated women either looked to menopause specialists for medical treatments or for holistic treatments or for the psychologist where I think exercise whatever right diet exercise all of that whereas I thought I can't I can't see how it works with one of those steps we need to do a little bit of each Mm. to find our feet and do it well Mm -hmm. I yes (laughs) (laughs) Danny um finally almost finally what 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 is it you want women to know ultimately about this time about um cancer you speak of it and but you're you're also kind of you know 
seem to be moving kind of moving away from it and in, in meaning that it's not defining you it's much like menopause it's part of what's happened it's part of your existence your story but what do you want women to you just know? answered your mm-hmm. own question <laughs> <laughs> that's how aligned we are today I talk to you because yeah. i'm drinking your smoothie here <laughs> Rachel, it is that I now know it doesn't have to define you. And I let my cancer diagnosis define me for a long time. Mm -hmm. I let it define me. And actually, the first time I had an appointment with a counsellor, she said, well, take me back. What's happened? And I started with the day of my diagnosis. And she said to me, gosh, didn't you have a life before cancer? Wow. Isn't that something? (laughs) Right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. 33 years in fact Mm -hmm. but my memory just wiped it all out because our mind has the tendency to just focus on the negatives that have happened yes right if you had for example women I work with with food for example if you had one bad meal on the weekend you're going to tell me about it but you might forget about the five meals that you had that were wonderful yeah yeah (laughs) the mind draws us it's like this monkey mind drawing us to the things that didn't work out to the pain to what you know, the, to the things that have happened that we didn't want to happen. And so it's, it doesn't have to define you. You can move away from it. And you, it can, all of those feelings can coexist. I think mm-hmm. that's what I've realized. The more I wanted to push it away, the bigger the elephant grew. And so I sort of take, it, take them all by their hand, all of the emotions, and go, come on, on. Yeah, come <laughs> on, Carry on, on. carry yeah. on, you. yeah. yeah. Danny, what's next for you? I don't really know. All I know is whatever has been bubbling for a while continues to bubble. And Mm. I know with how I am as a person in my possibilities in terms of running a business, I will never be able to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of women. I will... What I know I'm really good at is real connection because it's one thing I really thrive on and it's community. So I'm a real community creator, whether there are bigger online communities with thousands of ladies in my Facebook groups for cancer or non-cancer, whether there are my smaller communities of private clients. I just know being in a community, a bit like your Perry community, mm-hmm. can mean so much. And so mm-hmm. I will continue to create communities and help support in my ways you're brilliant that excites me that excites me I, I it excites us to be a part of your communities um Danny I can't thank you enough I I'm thank just you I feel like I met a new wonderful friend you're just lovely and smart and inspiring and this has just been a deeply wonderful hour and, and you are an expert host. You've hosted oh, so you, beautifully. You kept bringing me back on track as I was diverting oh, and going you. off. You're a fantastic host. And I know we're so aligned with so many things that we, we really do. are. We really are. We'll we'll have to uh, stay in touch. We are staying in touch. Yeah. And um, if I could give one thing to women listening Please. to this on their yeah. journey it's opening up the conversation to a woman where they have previously not spoken about menopause Mm. because what I know is sometimes just by opening the conversation might really help one of your sisters Mm. in her journey because so many women still don't talk about it yeah so whether that is the lady in the corner shop or someone else or a friend or a relative it's good to talk about it we need to make it much more normal oh that's a child out 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 (laughs) We need to make it much more normal of part of our conversations. We need to have the conversations in our 20s and early 30s and not in our 40s and 50s. And when we all know this is what we're going to expect, Mm -hmm. we are going to expect a turmoil. We're going to be more ready for it and we're not going to play catch up. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. And that it's a, it's a wonderful place to sort of end our discussion because it's encouraging and reminding us to sort of bring it out into the world. There's still so much and so many of us 
who have so much to say, so many questions to ask, so many stories to share with each other, with our peers, with those who are younger, um, so that their experience is not so fraught and not so silent. Um, and, you know, we're all served the men in our life, the boys in our life are served as well by us really just being, um, you know, vocal and encouraging of one another in it. So thank you for being such a voice to do that for all of us. Thank and you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you, Danny, so That's much. Great. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Perimenopause What the F podcast. The perimenopause journey can be lonely, and it doesn't have to be that way. Make sure to download our free Peri app to connect with perimenopause warriors in the same stage of life. See you next time, Peri sisters.